Well, good morning everyone. Uh, this morning we continue our series on Encountering Jesus, the final part of what has been a six-week series. Um, I do hope you've been blessed by this series. I've been really encouraged by all that TJ and Jason have shared, as well as just spending time digging into my own passages and learning so much of God through his word. Uh, next week we're starting a brand new summer sermon series titled Vertical Love. And that's going to be our series for the rest of the summer, for the entire month of July uh, and the full month of August. This will then take us into September and we'll keep you posted as, as to what we have planned for the rest of the year. Um, Encountering Jesus has been about the different encounters that people have had with the pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament. We've looked at how God has met with Abraham and Sarah, with Jacob, with Moses, with Gideon, with Isaiah. And this morning we want to be taking time to examine what I'm going to suggest is both a very powerful encounter and also an encounter which leaves us with lots of questions. Um, I say that because it's not as clear from the text that this was God himself, as other passages in previous weeks have been as clear. There's no mention of the angel of the Lord, which as we've seen in other parts of our series, is another description of God himself. Um, there's no reference to this person as capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, again another name for God. There's no heavenly vision. What we have instead is an encounter by three God-fearing men with someone who is described by pagans, who are looking on as one who looks like a son of the gods. So at the very least, this was an angel of some prominence. At the very most, it was a pre-incarnate Christ. I'm convinced it was the latter. And from what we read in that phrase, and also from how this fits in with the rest of the book of Daniel, this, I believe, is an encounter with God himself, the pre-incarnate Christ. Hence why we're looking at this passage today. And whatever your opinion might be, once we've looked at this passage together, we can all agree that God met with these men in a very clear and powerful way. They had an encounter unlike any other, and it was God who in some way met with them. Um, now, what I've just shared might bring out even more questions about exactly what happens here within this passage. Um, so the best way to answer those uh, questions is to look at it together. So I'm going to invite you to pay careful attention to what exactly is going on within the narrative. We're going to look at an entire chapter in the Bible, Daniel 3, a chapter where God is orchestrating and fulfilling his plan and purpose for his people and also for the wider community around them. And we read these words together. I'm reading from the CSB, uh, the Christian Standard Bible, starting in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet high and 90 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to assemble the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to attend the dedication of the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the statue the king had set up. Then they stood before the statue Nebuchadnezzar had set up. A herald loudly proclaimed, People of every nation and language, you are commanded, when you hear the sound of a horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, you are to fall face down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, when all the people heard the sound of a horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and every kind of music, People of every nation and language fell down and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. 
Some Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. You as king have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of a horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum and every kind of music must fall down and worship the gold statue. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are some Jews you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. These men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Then, in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked, asked them, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I have set up? Now if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship it, you'll... You will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. He gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary and he commanded some of the best soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So these men in their trousers, robes, head coverings and other clothes were tied up and thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Since the king com king's command was so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, the raging flames killed those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, fell bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped, in, jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, Didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. He exclaimed, look, I see four men not tied, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, your servants of the Most High God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out of the fire. When the satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's advisers gathered around. They saw that the fire had no effect in the bodies of his men. Not a hair of their heads was singed. Their robes were unaffected, and there was no smell of fire on them. Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I issue a decree that anyone of any people, nation or language who says anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and his house made a garbage dump. For there is no other God who is able to deliver like this. Then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Amen. And may God bless the reading of his word uh, today. Uh, you know, if you've paid attention to the news uh, this last month or so 
or even the last year, you'll know this to be true. Uh, we're all connected to each other and what happens in our lives is deeply connected. If what happens in one moment of history will result in, will impact other future events. And what occurs here in Daniel chapter 3 leads to an unfolding of events that are all connected to each other. One event leads to another event, which leads to another event. And through these events, God's plan and his purpose are furthered and established. And at the heart of all of these events lies an encounter that appears to change the whole direction of the narrative, including a change in the whole direction of the lives of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, as well as a huge change in the direction of the Babylonian culture that they find themselves in. God turns up in a way that surprises everyone and it leads to transformation. So let's go, go through the kind of eight key moments within this narrative. And within these eight moments, we see God's mighty and all-powerful hand upon this situation. Number one, the first key moment is the statue. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet high and nine feet wide. You know, this was designed to be a display of the king's power. He wanted everybody to know how great he was. Nebuchadnezzar was the ultimate egotist and coupled with that power that he had, it was a dangerous combination. It led to potential harm and destruction and this unrealistic understanding as to who he was as king. And it br brings us on to point number two, moment number two within our narrative, the command. You know, it was more than just displaying how great the king was. He went further. He wanted to have complete control of the hearts and minds of his people. This guy thought he was God himself. We read in verses 5 through to 6. When you hear the sound of a horn, flute, zephyr, lyre, harp, drum and every kind of music, you are to fall face down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Now can you imagine for a moment, going about your day, you hear these instruments, you better get down on that floor and start worshipping that statue. Because if you don't, you'll be thrown into a blazing fire. Now this would have been really intense for the people of that society. It would have times have felt overwhelming. It wouldn't have won the hearts and minds of the people. Instead, it would have instilled deep fear within the culture and society. Nebuchadnezzar's aim was coercion and control. And this was achieved on a huge scale through this new command. Which brings us on to point number three. Moment number three, the accusation. And not everyone adhered to this royal command. An accusation went out to the three individuals. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. We read in verse 12. There are some Jews you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. These men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Now, nobody likes a grass, let's be honest. But people often do it to make themselves look good. Which is probably what the Chaldeans were doing here. At this point we have no idea if the accusation is true or not. All we know is that a charge has been made and the king is furious. Which brings us on to moment number four, the confrontation. And Nebuchadnezzar summons him and he asks him directly if this is true or not. 
If they have refused to obey his direct command and in the process of his investigation, he says this to these three men. Now if you're ready, when you hear the sound of a horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship it, you'll immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is a God who can rescue you from my power? So he's given them another chance, the benefit of a doubt, just in case they didn't quite get the consequences of direct disobedience to their king. And look at the arrogance of King Nebuchadnezzar. Look at what he says. And who is a God who can rescue you from my power? That's quite a sentence when you think about it. Nebuchadnezzar thinks that he is greater, with greater power, greater authority than God himself, the God who created him. This leads us on to moment number five, the stand. This is a moment where these three men have a choice to make. Will they cower to the demands of their king and in the process reject their God? Or will they surrender to the will of their God and in the process reject their king? They wisely choose the latter, the more difficult route. We read in verses 16 through to 18. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you set up. This is boldness from these three men. They recognise the dangerous decision that we're making, but they understand that ultimately God is in control and their allegiance is to him and him alone. And so, point number five, moment number five, the fire. They're condemned to death for their allegiance to someone other than the king. We read these words in verse 23. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, fell, bound into the furnace of blazing fire. And this is where it gets really interesting. We find what I'm going to describe as an encounter, moment number six. This is not the end of the story. Normally if someone was to hit those flames with that level of heat, they would be dead in an instant. But these men are in the fire and there appears to be someone else who's with them. We read these words in verse 25 through to 26. He, that is Nebuchadnezzar, exclaimed, Look, I see four men not tied, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, your, your servants of the Most High God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out of the fire. Now notice that the three men go into the fire, four are found in the fire and three men come out of this fire. This encounter was reserved for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and it was for them alone. This moment, this experience changed their lives and changed the entire narrative within this passage. The encounter changes the heart of the king as he watches on. It prompts him to bring him back out. He recognises that their God is with them. He understands now why they chose to, re to reject his call to bow to this statue. And so suddenly he's warm towards him. He's accepting of him. He desires to bless him and to encourage him and help him. Which leads to point number eight, the blessing. The response of King Nebuchadnezzar in verses 29 to 30 is a complete turnaround. 
quite an incredible outcome to this story. It looked so impossible for these men. And yet we read in verse 29, Therefore, King Nebuchadnezzar speaking, Therefore I issue a decree that anyone of any people, nation or language, who says anything, anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, will be torn limb from limb, and his house made a garbage dump. So Nebuchadnezzar doesn't do things by half. For there is no other God who is able to deliver like this. Then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So their stand against the king ironically resulted in blessing from the king. Things changed for these men so quickly. They must have been in absolute awe at what God had done for them and what God was doing in their midst. Now in light of these eight moments... I just want to highlight an important side moment for us as we read this passage and as we think about being followers of Jesus in Scotland in 2020. As we look over these eight points of the story that we've read in Daniel 3, we are in fact very much following this kind of pattern within our own society. This is the direction we're heading towards. This is what we as believers in Scotland have to look forward to. And what do I mean by that? Well, like my statue... There are a few things that our society and culture hold to such high esteem that it's impossible to ignore. It's in our face every single day. And our society and our culture are pushing and commanding everyone at this moment, including Christians, to swear allegiance to these areas it regards so highly. Ideals and principles which have become deeply embedded within our culture, even at times worshipped. And we're probably at point number three, at the moment we're at the accusation stage. And I say that we're at the accusation stage because many Christians are not following the mandate of our culture and accusations are then getting thrown at us and the cancel culture can then kick in. And that's as far as it's got, but it won't be long before we find ourselves at point number four, confrontation. There will eventually be a more serious challenge for not adhering to the cultural expectations that are being forced upon us. And when it becomes a more serious challenge, this will lead us having to take a firmer stand. We will, like these men, have a choice as to whether or not we're going to stand for what we believe in or cower to the demands of our society. And in the process of standing for what we believe in, we will face our own personal fire. There will be a consequence for not following the particular mandate of our culture. So don't misread this passage as some out there Old Testament story. There's so much we can learn from the example of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and the encounter they have. As they trusted in God, we also are called to trust in him in the midst of the challenges that we face and the challenges that we will face. There are three things I want us to take note of from this passage through the example of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and I do believe these lessons can apply directly to our lives. My prayer is that we would understand what it is we faced, how they responded, and we would be propelled in the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life more faithful for Christ. Number one, I just want to ask you to take note of their boldness towards the king. Take note of their boldness towards the king. They stand before the king and they say these words in verse 16 through to 18. Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. Now, that's quite an incredible sentence when you think about it. The highest authority in the land 
and these words coming out of these men. And then they continue, If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. This is nothing short of spirit-empowered courage to stand against the greatest authority of man and tell them, no, we're not going to do what you've just told us to do. To fear the Lord is to not fear anything else. And this is exactly what we see within our passage. So be encouraged. Take note of their boldness, their, their courage, their desire to challenge the status quo. Number two, take note of their faith in God, how they trust God. You know, I think if God had delivered me or any one of you from this fiery furnace, then we would be full of faith after the event. God would have to turn up first before we had that level of trust in him. But look at what we read in this passage. They say these bold, courageous words to Nebuchadnezzar before they're thrown into the fire. This tells us something about these men. They had already nurtured a healthy, sturdy and rooted life in God. Before all of this, they were trusting God in the smaller areas of life, when no one else was paying attention to what they were doing. The reality is that God was paying attention. He saw their love. He saw their faithfulness. He desired to bless them and to help them and to strengthen them in their time of need. An example of this would be in Daniel 1. They choose not to be defiled by the king's food and his wine and instead go on a diet of vegetables and water. God came first, ahead of their own stomachs. God sees our faithfulness and God rewards them. And so my point here is that our lives were already deeply rooted in the things of God. And so when this Daniel 3 moment is thrown at them, they're ready and prepared to respond in faith, to live in complete trust. Their previous experience of walking with their Lord made them persecution ready. It was rooted in the previous experiences of their life. As they trusted God in the small things, they were able to trust God in the big things. Point number three, take note of their theology, what they understood of God. They didn't think that God's goodness was determined by whether or not God would physically rescue them here. No, for them, whatever happened, God was always good. They understood that God was in complete control of all of this. They recognised that according to God's will, they would live or die. They understood that ultimately he knew what was best. He was, after all, the one who managed and directed the course of history at this particular moment, in this particular part of the world, and for his particular purpose. These men had a big view of God, and with that knowledge, they then knew their own role. They kept it simple. No matter what happened to them, they would not bow down to the statue. This was them fulfilling their side of the bargain. They say these words, but even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Basically, if there's no scenario where we're going to reject God and turn to you and worship your statues and worship your gods. Notice here, we're not naming and claiming rescue from the fire for their own personal benefit, they were trusting the Almighty to do as he willed for his ultimate purpose. They were ready to die for the Lord. just want us to reflect on that. These individuals were ready to die for the Lord. 
So what I want us to see this morning is that this encounter with God in the fire revolved around these three reactions from these men. They had boldness, they had faith, these three individuals had right theological understanding and this was foundational to what happened in the fire, an encounter with the living God in what would have been the most difficult moment within their lives. So this is the example and witness of these three individuals. Let me in response ask you two questions. And these are two questions that you can reflect on within your own missional community groups after the service. So if you're watching us live, we meet in smaller groups on Zoom after the service. And everyone is welcomed, welcome to be a part of those. If you want to connect with one of these groups, then do contact us at info at denisonbaptist.co.uk and we can set you up and sign you up for a group. My hope is that these questions that we're going to ask right now will really act as a bridge from what we know and understand within this passage to how we can then apply it to our everyday lives. So first question is this, is your life characterised by the ordinary faithfulness of these individuals? Is your life characterised by the ordinary faithfulness of these individuals? So just as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were daily living for God in a way that was not obvious or evident to others, could you say the same thing about your own life? In Daniel 1, we read that they lived in this diet of vegetables and water out of a love for God and no one else knew about it. Most likely, one of the many different examples where they demonstrated unseen faithfulness to God. In response to this, I wonder what you do in your life when nobody else is watching. Is the deepest desire of your heart one of, God, thank you for loving me, thank you for saving me. I now want to commit my entire life to you. And every conversation, and every decision, and every moment, God, I'm going to put you first. You know, I'm aware of the fact that maybe you've never made that decision before. Maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. Well, you can do that today. During the live service, if there's an option for you to connect with someone, this is... For anybody who has any questions about what it means to follow Jesus, or maybe you've made a decision this morning and you want to, to seal that, you want to, to commit your life to Christ fully and completely, well, I want to invite you to click on that button in the feed and make a response to him today. And if you're watching this recorded, then you can contact us on info at denisonbaptist.co.uk and we would count it a privilege to connect with you, trusting that God is going to lead you to a place where you put your faith in him and through faith in Christ, your life is completely changed and transformed. But don't walk away from this service without getting right with God. Let me just plead with you to make a decision to follow him today. And see how he orchestrates and directs the rest of your life in a way which fills you with joy and peace and hope. I just want to be crystal clear with you this morning. There is nothing more important and there is nothing more satisfying than a life that is centred in Jesus. So do make a decision today, follow him with all that you are and watch how God leads. When you do this, when you make God at the very centre of every action and decision, then life really does change for the better. It doesn't mean that, that all things are going to go well, everything's going to go smoothly. What it means is that you have purpose in your life, you suddenly have clarity and wisdom, you move from confusion to conviction. And through a life in Christ, you see how it is that God orchestrates and leads in much the same way that he orchestrates and leads within this passage. 
This is what it means to live a life of ordinary faithfulness, putting God first in all of the small and big areas of life, because you know that he loves you and that you love him and you want to please him in every possible way. So let ordinary faithfulness be characteristic of our life in 2020. Second question I want to ask is this, will your life be characterised by the extraordinary faithfulness of these individuals? What I mean by that is this, are you willing to live for Jesus right until the very end, even unto death? You know, if we ever find ourselves in that kind of scenario, there's no guarantee that the outcome of these three men will also be our outcome. They were rescued miraculously through an encounter with the living God as they were in the fire. But the Bible doesn't make this a promise for everyone who faces this level of persecution. He doesn't always physically rescue us from danger. In fact, the Bible gives plenty of examples of those who suffered and who lost their lives because of their faithfulness to Jesus. An important example of this is in Hebrews chapter 11 and in verses 35 to 40. In Hebrews 11 we have what has been described as a hall of faith, a long list of men and women who found victory in Christ in the midst of trial and difficulty. But then the chapter moves on to focus on those unknowns, the people who went through so much hardship and toil for the sake of following Christ. Theirs was one of extraordinary faithfulness because from an earthly perspective, they lost so much in the process of living for Jesus. <clears throat> we read in Hebrews 11 and verse 35, other people were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they died by the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and in mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, so that they would not be made perfect without us. You know, the example of Hebrews 11, 35-40 shows us that there's no guarantee that the outcome of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego will also be our outcome. The most likely scenario is that we will lose so much to follow Christ. This is what Jesus promised. This is what happened to Jesus himself. And this is what it means to have extraordinary faithfulness. A faithfulness that's faithful no matter the cost. A faithfulness right to the very end. Don't misunderstand what I'm getting at here. And the extraordinary faithfulness of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and the extraordinary faithfulness of these men and women of Hebrews was extraordinary, not because of anything in these men and women, it was nothing in them. It was the power of God at work in and through them. Don't look at these examples and think to yourself, this is something to do with these individuals. No, if God's power is not at work in your life, then it's down to a lack of openness to God's power. As God's power is at work in your life, then boldness, faithfulness, a desire to fulfil the plan and purpose of God flourishes. The same spirit that dwells in these men and women is the same spirit that dwells in each one of you. If you have faith in Christ today, choose today a life in the spirit and not one in your own strength and flesh. 
one in which you're ready to go all the way for Jesus. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are different from the other examples we have looked at in our series because these guys were already living the life that God wanted them to live. You know, when we think of the other examples, when we think of Moses, when we think of Gideon, when we think of, of Jacob, we see individuals who were not following Christ faithfully. They were not following the will of God. And yet God, by his grace, demonstrated his power and redirected their lives. In this example, we see three individuals who are all out for God and God continues to help them and direct them as they face persecution. Their encounter with Jesus was therefore extraordinary, one where they met God in the fire. But it was in the backdrop of the ordinary, an ordinary faithfulness leading to an extraordinary encounter. May that kind of living characterise each one of our lives so that we are ready to go all the way for Christ, for his glory and for those around us that they might see Christ in us as we demonstrate faithfulness to him. You know, as we close, I just want to show you a short film uh, of a real testimony of what it looks like from a fairly recent account of a small group of men who in love went to an unreached people group in Ecuador. And this is something that we've highlighted on a number of occasions before within the life of the church. Their story is one of encountering Jesus, um, but in a way that none of them would have expected. It's the story of Jim Elliot, Pete Fleming, Ed McCulley, Nate Saint and Roger Udarian. These were missionaries to Ecuador, men who were willing to do whatever it took to reach others with the good news of Jesus Christ. They lived a life that in many ways mirrored the lives of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, faithful to God right until the very end. And what happened in Ecuador was rooted in the faithful lives of these men, men whose lives had been won over for God, so that they might reach others for Christ. We know this from so much of what we read before they're reaching out to these people in the Amazonian jungle. One of the five, Jim Elliot, penned these famous words in his journal. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And these words became so real to him and his four friends on the 8th of January 1956. These words are for all of us today. Let today be the day when you start living in light of eternity, living a life gaining what you cannot lose. So let me pray. And then we'll watch a short film about these five missionaries who sought to reach the unreachable in Ecuador in Jesus' name. And may we be deeply challenged by their example. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the power of encounter. We thank you for each one of these six examples we've looked at in this series. And we thank you for the way in which you have shown us through your word the difficulty of life at times, to be faithful to you means oftentimes opposition from authorities, from other people. Oftentimes it leads to accusation and condemnation. Lord, we pray that you would grant us courage and strength in these moments when we do face the pressure and the accusation and the condemnation of others. Help us to be faithful to you right until the very end. And we pray, Lord, that as we watch this, this short film, as we see the example of these five men, it would inspire us to live for you with all that we are. Help us to have a clearer and greater picture of you 
in the midst of the difficulties we might face. We ask that you fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit and give us a greater love for you. In Jesus' precious name, Amen.